You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Bellato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum. And Chris, we have a special teams coach that has been hired by Brian Dable, and he happens to have hair. That is Michael Gobriel, the former special teams assistant for the New York Jets dating back to 2021 when Robert Sala was hired as the head coach there. We can go briefly through what Michael Gobriel helped accomplish over there with the Jets, but again, he wasn't the special teams coordinator. He was just the assistant. But before we get into that, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's it's nice to see the Giants making some hires. It's interesting, I think, that a lot of the hires they've made so far are guys with absolutely no connection to Brian Dayball. I thought, or I you were really, say hair. Oh, that that as well. You know, the <laughs> Gobriel definitely stands out there. But I'm not. Well, nope. Uh, I think Polk the. Bears assistant offensive, uh, sorry, assistant special teams coach. I believe he was bald as well. So, yeah, that that does kind of make this stand out. But you know, special teams there, the special teams are always a little bit different. Uh, but I gotta say, Gobriel does seem like a a good hire because the Jets have been solid on special teams for the last three years while he was there. We don't know how much of that was him, but. It's definitely notable. It's certainly notable. I know the Jets, according to Football Outsiders DVOA, the first year Gobriel was there as the assistant, their special teams unit ranked second in DVOA. That same year, according to, I think it was um, uh, EPA, it was like 11th. So some of these advanced numbers, and and we're not really 100% certain how they are all calculated, just kind of take them for what they're worth. But when you watched the Jets, the Jets special teams itself was a solid unit. And they had some guys, I remember back in 2021, I think Braxton Berrios was a pro bowler, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that, but he was an effective special teams player for the Jets. So they've had some success. And here are some of the other DVOA stats, according to Aaron Schatz NFL. In 2022, they were 21st. And in this past season, the Jets were fifth in DVOA. So, you know, We'll have to wait and see. I don't I don't want to say it can't get worse in Thomas McGahee because it certainly can get worse. But I think we can all come to an agreement that a change needed to happen. The change happened. Now the Giants have hired somebody. Let's hope that he is competent and we'll see some some quality special teams out there. Yeah, and I gotta say there there is one little wrinkle to this, and that is that Gobriel will be the special teams coordinator for the East team at the 2024 Shrine Bowl. Now, Mike Kafka will be the head coach for the West team at the Shrine Bowl. You know, the Shrine Bowl, they're they're getting some bigger name players, but these guys are usually 
either fringe roster players, back end of the draft type guys, and having eyes on both the East and West practices right there, hands on, is kind of a unique opportunity for the Giants. And they'll get a lot of looks at potential late round players who could help the offense and help the Giants special teams. And I don't want to, I don't think we should undersell the value of that. Because like any business, football is a human business. You're interacting with other human beings and you develop relationships. So when draft day rolls around, some of these coaches could be pounding the table for certain players that they coached and they built a relationship with at the Shrine Bowl. So I think that's an advantage for the New York Giants to gain insight on how these kids practice, how they prepare, and how they play. Yeah, and also with uh, undrafted free agency. That is basically... Mm -hmm. uh, a massive recruiting operation and a lot of times undrafted free agents guys who just missed the draft they go to the teams where they had built relationships with scouts with coaches over the course of the draft process and if the giants are able to sh build a good a good relationship with these guys at the shrine bowl that could help them in convincing them to come to new york after the draft is over which is huge, by the way. I'm so glad that you brought that point up because it's a very valuable point. Now, some other news around the land of the New York Giants is Giants Assistant General Manager Brandon Brown possibly joining, and this has not been confirmed or uh, even reported on, but a second interview was conducted by the Los Angeles Chargers for Brandon Brown to accept the job of the general manager under or over, if you want to look at it that way, Jim Harbaugh, who's quite the personality, who is now the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. If this does happen and if this does go down, the Giants would garner a third round pick in 2024, this draft upcoming, and a third round pick in 2025 due to the equal opportunity rules in the NFL. So Brandon Brown's destined to be a general manager. He will eventually become a general manager. It just you know, it just begs the question right now, Chris, will it be this off season with Harbaugh as his head coach? Yeah, I, I think there's a real possibility. You know, no inside information or anything like that here, but just listening to the people who do have that inside information, Browns is the name that comes up. Like if you hear people like oh, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, those guys toss out a name for the, for the Chargers GM. Browns is the one that comes up again and again, and it kind of comes up out of nowhere, started coming up, coming up kind of out of nowhere last week when the talks between Harbaugh and the Chargers really heated up. And there is apparently a prior relationship between the two men. So we talked, we just talked about how it's kind of refreshing and interesting that Brian Dayball is hiring coaches who don't have a relationship. You do want to have a relationship between your head coach and GM because those guys are, they're connected at the hip and they have to be in lockstep. And given Jim Harbaugh's reputation and I think a lot of the substance behind that reputation as a head coach, you want you don't want to have a forced arranged marriage there. You want somebody who knows him and he knows and who can, the two can work together. So I, I think there really is a pretty good chance that Brandon Brown winds up getting hired relatively soon. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if it is with the Chargers this year because 
I don't think he's going to be with the Giants for another two, three years. <laughs> and then we also have Kafka, who conducted his second interview to become the Seattle Seahawks head coach. And I think this is important, right? Because I didn't know this, but Mike Kafka's grandfather, according to Daryl Slater of New, I think it's New Jersey Advanced Media, NewJersey.com, Star Ledger, and Dan Duggan also reported on this from The Athletic that Mike Kafka's grandfather is Puerto Rican. So he is technically a minority candidate as well. So if Kafka would also leave, the Giants would garner three third round comp picks this offseason if he leaves this offseason with Brandon Brown. But if only one of them leaves, say Brown leaves this offseason and then Kafka leaves to become a head coach, remember it has to be a head coach, not a lateral move next offseason, then the Giants would end up getting four third round comp picks over the next three years. So there's something to be said about that from a um, from a hiring standpoint. I'm not certain where the Seahawks are at with Mike Kafka. Do you have any insight on that situation? No, I don't. But I do think it is interesting that Kafka is, as far as I know, the only offensive-minded candidate, the only candidate for the Seahawks head coaching position that comes from the offensive side of the ball. All the rest are defensive coaches. And you have to wonder if when they kind of... um, However, it went down with Pete Carroll, arranged or agreed with him to move to an advisory role or whatever. He was moved out of the head coaching position. You have to wonder if maybe it was because they wanted a younger offensive mind as they kind of transitioned through the next couple years of Geno Smith and then on into the future. You know, we saw that with the Giants in 2022, where they interviewed a bunch of defensive coaches and Brian Dayball. He was the only offensive coach, and he was the one the Giants went with. And it it really does make sense in the modern NFL for your head coach to have an offensive bent, an offensive leaning, because just consistent, repeatable success in the NFL it, it happens on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, defensive success, that can vary and fluctuate from year to year wildly. You know, sometimes it really just depends on the offenses your defense faces. But if you can get consistently good on offense, your team is probably going to be consistently good and consistently competitive. So, I, again, no real insight into where the Seahawks are, how they're leaning. But I do think there is some smoke to that, or there might be something to the smoke that Kafka could be a real candidate for their job. And in other NFC East news, it appears, Chris, that good old Vic Fangio may be joining the Philadelphia Eagles as their defensive coordinator. I don't think it's been completely confirmed, but... They are set to hire, I think, is how it's been framed. Vic Fangio was with the Miami Dolphins as the defensive coordinator this past year. But in 2022, he was a defensive uh, consultant after his stint as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So I'm guessing that Fangio, who if you look around the NFL, Fangio principles are everywhere, palms, quarters, 
cover four type of principles, too high, rotating someone down in the box. Brandon Staley kind of took what Fangio, Fangio always taught and uh, kind of put his own spin on it. Didn't necessarily work out over there with the Chargers, but he has his fingerprints all over defense in the NFL, and he's a very well-respected coach, and it looks like he could be joining the Philadelphia Eagles staff as the head guy for the defense. Yeah, and that that's very interesting because the – the Fangio defenses around the NFL, they didn't fare all that well this year. I, I don't think any of his disciples or the people who have attempted to implement his principles, and that's Fangio included, finished in the top 10 of defense. You know, the Outside of, you know, basically what is left over from his time with the 49ers, but yeah, they've gone through quite a few changes since then. The thing of it is, though, is that he was with the Eagles in 2022, and their defense was very, very good when he was advising them. So if he has, and it seems like he will, have the opportunity to really mold this defense as they kind of go through a metamorphosis with guys aging out. Yeah, you know, it will be very interesting to see and it'll be interesting to see if he updates his scheme with a, to account for a lot of the counters that other teams have you know come up with. Yeah, I don't think he was entirely to blame for Miami's defense being a little disappointing last year. Like his defense needs guys. Like he needs real players in his defense just to just to make it work like we saw that last year with the Minnesota Vikings they tried to run it with players who were old slow you know, they weren't able to get much pressure and it was terrible with the Dolphins they got hit pretty hard with injuries Jalen Ramsey went down Jalen Phillips went down uh they, they had they had one other serious injury uh Bradley Chubb he went down and that does make it difficult to run that style of defense. If the Eagles are able to reload and he is able to update because we know the giants are tendency exploiters. We know even if Mike Kafka leaves, Brian Dayball will be going to school on the various counters that other teams have discovered for that Fangio defense. So it will be interesting to see see the chess match there because it is going to be very significant for the Giants. The Eagles look vulnerable. Will they be, though? That's the question. So we're going to take a ad break right now. And then on the flip side of the ad break, as the kids would say, we are going to go over, and I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, a good host would have mentioned this at the top of the show. We're going to go over the Giants defensive rookie report cards. So let's roll the ads. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you to our producer, Brian, for helping us with the ads and everything. So let's get right into it, Chris, and start with one Deontay Banks, a day one starter for the New York Giants. If you head on over to Big Blue View and type in report card into the Google machine, you can find an article I did last week on all of the rookies. And if you go previously in the feed, you'll see the offensive rookie report card that Chris and I did on the podcast side of things. But look, I know Deontay Banks was beat for some touchdowns. It was, I wouldn't say a turbulent rookie season. I think there were some peaks there were some valleys overall though even though he committed eight penalties which was 13th highest of all the cornerbacks in the league i came away very impressed with deontay banks and the primary thing and i've mentioned this on other platforms that i was impressed by wasn't his athletic ability and man coverage that he showed when he was in school that that wasn't a surprise to me that was very evident on his tape when he was in maryland it was his understanding of route concepts his ability to quickly discern what the route concepts were and his eyes in zone coverage and we saw that on the first interception of his career against the against the washington football team commanders whatever the hell we're calling them these days right <laughs> so I come away i came away impressed with deontay banks and the grade that i gave him was a was a solid B plus. If I had to go, was it closer to an A or a just flat out B? Probably closer to a B. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think B plus is fair. Yeah, a lot of what we saw from Banks was he came as advertised. He's good sized, very strong, very athletic, very physical. He was a pretty darn natural fit in the press coverage schemes. And the physicality did kind of bite him in the butt as he adjusted to the NFL. Like we expected, we expected some flags to be thrown on his play just based on yeah. watching him on tape. I, I like what you said. I like how you brought up his eyes and understanding of route coverage or sorry, route concepts and his play in zone coverage because those, I was confident he could play zone coming out of Maryland, but it was good to see that he was more than just a one trick pony that, that he could handle a pretty big ask and a pretty diverse set of schemes and coverage rules as a rookie at the NFL level. Yeah. I thought he, I thought those valleys kind of leveled out as the year went on. And I thought he finished pretty strong, especially as you know, Dory Jackson was in and out. You know, the there was some turbulence in the Giants secondary. Yeah. You know, the biggest concern I have about Tay Banks moving forward is just that he finished the season injured, and injuries were a problem for him at Maryland. You know, with corners, they're thoroughbreds. They are some of the most elite athletes, especially guys like banks who can excel in press man coverage because they have to play at full speed completely reactive backwards that is incredibly hard to do <laughs> yeah I, I think approximately the only thing harder to do would be like i don't know hit a mariana rivera cutter something like that <laughs> 
nice yeah. baseball reference. Hey, we got to make it every once in a while. And when you have athletes like that who are right on the ragged edge of what human capability is, they can stand to get hurt. Yeah, the injuries can be a problem for them. So yeah, I have to ask if we should be worried about his injury history and the fact that he did get dinged up at the end of the season this year, and if that is a concern going forwards. But as a, as for his play, yeah, I, I'm with you. I was completely satisfied and pretty impressed by what I saw. I wasn't expecting Sauce Gardner or Reek Woolen. Those guys are, which just set them off on the side. They landed in perfect situations, and they are exceedingly rare athletes with very, very rare physical traits. You know, they, they're just literally built different. Tay Banks, I think he was everything we hoped for. And there are a couple plays throughout the season that people will point to. Him losing in the red zone, the Ronnie Bell touchdown against San Francisco. You had the DK Metcalf touchdown against Seattle. But I don't want to forget the plays he also made in the red zone or in the end zone. He showed recovery speed on that deep Samare Torre play against the Green Bay Packers. Now, that wasn't the red zone, but that was still in the end zone. I think it was like a pass from the 30-yard line or what have you. He also had a PBU, if I'm not mistaken, against CD Lamb in the second Dallas game. He had uh, that was, I think, week 10 or the week 10 Dallas game. He had one against Jalen Waddle in Miami. He had one against Debo Samuel with San Francisco. He had a couple PBUs that were really nice against Garrett Wilson and Devontae Adams. So on the whole, overall, I understand why people came away like, yeah, I wish he was a little bit more consistent in the red zone. But those are some big plays that you have to make against really good football players. CeeDee Lamb, Debo Samuel, like those are some of the top dogs. And this rookie was covering them in a defense that blitzed second most in the entire NFL, leaving him on an island without safety help. I came away really impressed and I remain very high on him moving forward. Anything on that, Chris, or you want to go to Trey Hawkins at third? Yeah, just, just before we go to his uh, semi-partner in crime, I am excited to see what Tay Banks brings next year after, because you know, last time we talked about how rookies timeline is incredibly compressed and accelerated because they spend most of their time preparing for the draft. Banks will have, you know, he might not know what his defensive scheme is yet, but he now knows what the NFL is like. He knows what he can work on. He knows he has a better idea of how to prepare his body for a, 17 game season and he knows now what nfl offensive concepts look like so i think he can make a real step maybe even a leap going into year two so yeah now let's talk about hawkins because there's quite a bit to talk about there too yeah so trey hawkins was put into a tough spot a lot of media hype and the team, too, because he had a good training camp, generated this perspective that I believe I may have unfairly graded him with this perspective in the back of my mind. Because I was supposed to grade these guys relative to their draft slot. And I ended up giving Trey Hawkins a third, a D plus. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to our expectations heading into week one. Let's put ourselves back into that that frame, that 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 time frame, right? Chris, we were talking about, yeah, Dory Jackson. Let's move him inside so we can get our best three cornerbacks out there in nickel because Trey Hawkins III has proved himself that much in training camp. Like That was the frame that we were all operating in. There was such a razzmatazz around him, but 
he got out there and early on we, we we realized like look this um this probably isn't going to work out and then i think it was the san francisco 49ers game he had just two terrible missed tackles in space one against debo samuel i think the other one might have been against christian mccaffrey so he's going up against very good football players but he ended up becoming a liability with his tackling which was one of his pluses back at old dominion and then there was in the next week the miami play which was or two weeks after the miami play which was just terrible and i don't think he should have been put in that position adory jackson if, if for those who don't remember ended up leaving the game because he had like a helmet malfunction and it was a third and long and Trey Hawkins, the third, runs onto the field and lines up with Tyreek Hill across from him with no safety help over the top. And it resulted in like a 60-yard touchdown. And then after that, we really didn't see Trey Hawkins, the third, all that often. Kid was put into a tough spot, allowed 80.8% uh, of his targets, resulted in a catch for 330 yards, three touchdowns, had two passes defended and 26 tackles, committed four penalties. I think a D-plus is still a little bit uh, cruel, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I there's two ways we can go with this. We can either grade him as a player who the Giants felt was essentially a starting caliber player because the, at the beginning of the season that's what he was. The Giants had, you know, the, they're a nickel defense or they were. And so your cornerback 3 is a starter for all intents and purposes. So from that perspective, yeah, he was definitely below average. He became a liability. I think a D, somewhere in the D range, from that perspective, is fair. However, if you grade on the rookie curve, whereby you, you just cannot hold a sixth-round pick to the same standards that you hold a first-round pick, then you know, a D-plus might be a little harsh. Just the fact that he was able to work himself into the position where the Giants felt relatively comfortable with him starting and not using Cordell Flott or Darnay Holmes as the slot corner with Adoree Jackson and Tay Banks out there as the outside corners. Yet that was impressive. And Trey Hawkins does have some impressive traits. You know, he is long. He is very athletic. He is very physical. You talked about his tackling at Old Dominion. He plays corner like a safety. And I mean that in the best way possible because there's a lot of corners where they'll, they'll just throw a shoulder or maybe you know, go for the old Ole arm tackle and just whiff completely. Hawkins is very physical. He looks to hit guys. He looks to get ball carriers on the ground again that that was something we didn't see and he really did struggle once he faced real nfl teams that were really game planning and using their full schemes all of those route combinations all those route concepts designed to stress corners and yeah it, it's understandable that a sixth round rookie from old dominion would struggle in that situation. So I think I probably would bump him up to a solid C just based on the fact that he was a six rounder. And like you said, there were situations he never should have been put in. 
Let's move on to Jordan Riley, who was picked in the seventh round at pick 243. Just an absolutely massive mountain of a man who played 135 defensive snaps for the Giants. And we saw, I would say, improvements throughout the year. We didn't really see him all that often early in the season, but he had a really good game in week 16 on Christmas against Jason Kelsey with a couple really nice plays. I think... um, (laughs) I wonder if we're we're remembering him in a more positive light than than maybe um than maybe uh what his film would suggest. I did a if anybody wants to look it up, I did a little piece on him, I think before the week 18 game on how Jordan Riley was performing at the end of the season. And he was performing well, but it wasn't perfect. But what do you expect from a round seven defensive tackle? I think the Giants found a solid rotational piece here with upside, and he is a ceiling who could be the direct backup to spell Dexter Lawrence in the future defense, whatever that future defense is. So I gave Jordan Riley a B minus with upside. I hope Coach Patterson stays on the staff to really get the most out of this guy. I think this is the type of individual that Coach Patterson can um, can uh, can extract the most value out of because we've seen him do it with guys like Dexter Lawrence and so many other defensive linemen throughout his career. Yeah, I was impressed with what Jordan Riley did in the season opener against Dallas. You know, there were points in that game where he was the Giants best player, which is both kind of saying something about how the Giants played in that game as a whole, but also that a seventh round rookie nose tackle, he flashed, but he also yeah, didn't yeah, that get, su- pardon me? Sorry to cut you off. He had that tackle on Tony Pollard. Yeah. which was fantastic. And that was in the first quarter too. That was still when the game was, I think the Cowboys were up like 16 or 15, nothing, but they put him in there just to spell Dexter Lawrence for a drive. And he beat Tyler Biotish and tackered, tackled Tony Pollard for a loss of like two yards. It was, it was impressive. That's, this is the first guy, this, this is the first game this guy has ever played in the NFL. Yeah. The, like you said, it, it was impressive. He, he, he shows some real solid upside and I honestly thought, and this is going back to preseason, he was much more athletic for the Giants than he showed at Oregon. I don't know what he did with his training, his nutrition, or what, but he was moving much better, much more explosively than he did as the nose tackle for the Oregon Ducks, where, yeah, he, he was massive, he was powerful, but he was kind of like... He was one of those hydraulic press defensive tackles where he's not going to get a great jump off the ball. He is just going to slowly walk your center backwards. Here, we saw him attack gaps. We saw him move laterally in a way that just didn't see in college. So yeah, I, I think he could be the direct backup to Dexter Lawrence. And depending on what the Giants scheme looks like next year, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him or DJ Davidson for that matter. This he's not a rookie this year, although he didn't really play last year. He was injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I wouldn't mind seeing either one of those guys on the field as a nose tackle for the Giants while Dexter Lawrence is also on the field at say a four eye or a three technique or you know, whatever. And then we have Gervarius Owens and Chris. I gave him just a, it's not applicable, right? There's no grade you can give Javarius Owens. He saw 37 special team snaps, didn't see the defense. 
And uh, he was around seventh pick, one of the last picks in the draft. And we'll see if he gets a chance to crack the rotation. If I'm not mistaken, and I don't know if this is going to have any impact. It probably won't have any impact. But if I'm not mistaken, Thomas McGahee's son was a tight end for Houston when Javarius Owens was there. And a lot of people maybe connected the dots fairly or or unfairly, that that was one of the reasons why he was added. Now, he only played 37 special team snaps, dealt with some injuries. So I'm hoping we get to see more, but I didn't even give him a grade because I think it's incomplete. Yeah, I, I think that's the only grade you can fairly give him. Yeah, he did. He does have some traits, kind of like Trey Hawkins. He's physical. He's athletic. He's a seventh rounder, so hopefully the Giants can get something from him, but Generally speaking, anything after the fifth round, those guys are even more lottery tickets than the first five rounds of the draft. If you get anything from any of them, you're doing well. And yeah, hopefully, like you said, he'll get a chance to crack the defense or at least become a regular special teams contributor because, you know, guys like Cam Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, they might be moving on after this year. We don't know. And that would open up spots on the Giants special teams. You do need good special teamers. We got to get Mike Gobriel some players. And <laughs> maybe Javarius Owens can be that guy or one of those guys. If so, I would say that is a, that is a successful pick. Not every pick is a home run. And once you get to the end of the draft, honestly, once you get outside of the third round, if you get anything, three years of special teams play, of just decent special teams play from a pick you're doing pretty well you're you're honestly beating the odds there and i would say getting trey hawkins and jordan riley what the giants did get out of them the potential upside there joe shane did a pretty darn good job on the third day of this draft he did i mean it's still very early to tell but there are some players with like you said jordan riley who uh who still have a lot of upside. Hopefully Eric Gray gets more of an opportunity too on the offensive side of the football so we could see uh so we could possibly see his potential as a running back and not just somebody who's pigeonholed into being a punt returner. But Chris, anything else before we get out of here? Nope. I'm I'm pretty excited that we're going to start seeing something like football again very soon because we've got the East West Shrine Bowl. We talked about that before. We also have the senior bowl coming up. We'll have plenty of coverage yeah. on that. And there's going to be a lot of good players. The Senior Bowl in particular, we could have an, a, a real quarterback duel with Bo Nix, Michael Pratt, maybe even Spencer Rattler could resurrect his draft stock from, I, I don't know what Graveyard has been in, but it, he has been off everybody's radar lately, the last couple of years. So the Senior Bowl could be very, very interesting this year. Spencer Rattler. There you go. That's that's going back. I remember when everyone was talking about him being the first overall pick uh, back when he was at Oklahoma, and that, that didn't end up working out. But, you know, c'est la vie. Anyways, Chris um, and everybody, thank you for tuning in to Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please, if you have not done so already, like, subscribe, comment on the podcast, and head on over to BigBlueView.com where you can check out all of our written content. Thanks, everybody, and have a lovely day. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. 
you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.